Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to a very special crossover of the Empire podcast and the Pilot TV podcast, which in this case actually is transatlantic. I'll explain that in just two seconds. And this one is dedicated to talking about the glorious show that is Better Call Saul. Gearing up, of course, to begin the first of its two-part run of episodes in its final season, the sixth and final season. Uh, Very, very sad, finally, to see Saul Goodman, a.k.a. Jimmy McGill, uh, leave us. Uh, But joining me to talk about this are two pilot TV colleagues of such lethal cunning. Beth Webb is here. Hello, Beth. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Where are you at the moment? Uh, I'm in our, our Empire Towers currently. Been lured away from uh, Empire duties for... Got the pilot hat on. Pilot party hat on. I'm ready to go. Do you literally have hats? Like an Empire hat and a pilot hat and you have to switch them out as Oh, as it's mandatory. Go. If I come in with my Empire hat into the studio, James will refuse me entry. So... Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. No. He's he's very very uh, stern about such things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, of course, James isn't here because James doesn't really watch Better Call Saul, or he hasn't, or he's missed episodes, or something like that. I'm not sure, but he's too lazy. He's too lazy to get up to date because he's watching The Expanse for the tenth time. That's that's, that's, that's it. Situation. He's missing out. Although I, apparently, I'm missing out on The Expanse mm-hmm. as well. So you know, yeah. it's. Uh, swings and roundabouts, isn't it? But you, of course, have just heard him here. When I said transatlantic, I wasn't kidding. Um, although it's the Atlantic. I don't know, because Boyd Hilton is here. <laughs> and Boyd Hilton is in New York at the moment. I Hello, am. Boyd. Hello, Chris. Um, yes. In a weird situation, I'm in New York um, to do a exclusive interview with two British people who also flew over <laughs> from London. <laughs> <laughs> for, for a day of press <laughs> in a completely insane situation. More than that, wow. I cannot say. Um, but yes, this must be killing you to have two pilot TV people um, uh-huh. having, because everyone else hasn't is not up to date with Better Call Saul. And you, your idiots. F- idiots. Your favourite other podcasts, um, your least favourite other podcasts, <laughs> having to rely on us. For- I mean, I think footballistically, Arsenal's above well, the, yeah, the podcast, right. as far exactly. as I'm concerned. Exactly. That's where we've come to. <laughs> Talks about stuff that's much closer to my heart. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Losing to Liverpool on a regular yes, basis. So, no, yeah. if, well, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> Beth, Beth will be fascinated, yeah. I'll just check out some, check some emails while you two are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you hear the words Jimmy McGill, then you know we're back on Better Call Saul. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, listen, this is the thing I've been trying to bang this drum for Better Call Saul for a long, long time now. And it, it, it this is one of the things we should talk about. Um, maybe we should talk about it after we've heard from the, uh, the interview with uh, Peter Gould. <laughs> I'm setting these up so professionally today. Um, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Better Call Saul. We're going to talk about our, our love of the show and what we love about the show and then our hopes and fears for season six. After you've heard this interview, this is from last year, I think. So I interviewed Peter Gould, the uh, the co-creator and the showrunner of Better Call Saul. He co-created it along with Vince Gilligan, of course, who created Breaking Bad. And uh, when season five of Better Call Saul finished, we did a viewing guide, which is a regular feature in Empire Magazine. And I talked to Peter Gould for that and only used selected highlights. So here is the full, unexpurgated interview with Peter Gould talking about season five primarily of Better Call Saul and uh, some of the, the show's key moments. Do please enjoy. Basically, it's a, it's, it's a deep dive into some of the key moments from season five. I'll have to see what I could remember. Oh, I'm sure you could remember plenty, but I imagine you're breaking season six right now, are you? 
we are, we are yeah how's that going uh it's you know it in some ways it's going great but we're having to work over zoom uh which we don't like you know zoom it, it's a uh it's an amazing technology and even as recently as a couple of years ago we wouldn't have been able to work at all so we're grateful for technology but it it's um it's it's really it really interferes with the flow uh and the give and the take it's it's it seems to be designed for one person to speak at a time and we tend to interrupt each other and and uh and it's just it's 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 a little bit like uh trying to run in really thick sand but we're managing <laughs> you're getting there piece by piece how's the extra three episodes uh shaping up is, is that a a new thing for you to wrestle with the idea you got 13 rather than 10 well it, you know this is uh we're lucky enough that that was at our our request yeah um uh and and uh sony and amc really really were uh, looking to us to tell them what what how many episodes we needed and uh i think we're hopefully we can fit it into 13. <laughs> we've got right now right now we're breaking uh the, the i mean we're really deep 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 into season season six and there is so much to do and it is it is uh anyway i'm very excited about it mm. but uh, i'll I'll, uh, I'll be even more excited about it when uh when we know when we see our way through to the end and then i'll just be sad yeah we all will we all will be sad but uh but fair play to you at least for not saying when sony said how many episodes do you need to finish the story for not saying what i would have said 57 i need 57 episodes <laughs> well my theory was it was uh it, you know breaking bad was 62 so i figured we could just up breaking bad by one episode that that would that would work out well for us <laughs> absolutely and with with each season, because I know having followed the show and having listened to the Better Call Saul Insider podcast, I know that you guys don't haven't always stuck to the planets in your heads. And this is something that goes back even all the way to, to Breaking Bad, of course. But uh, I know, for example, that you initially wanted Jimmy to become Saul much quicker than he than he actually has. And, you know, there's still an argument to be made that he hasn't completely 100% become Saul. So the beginning of this season, beginning of season five, when you were breaking it, how much of the end game did you have in your heads when you were sitting down? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, the end of uh, season five ends with a, I don't know, news. I, I, don't, I don't like the word twist, but it, it, with news, which is that Kim tops Jimmy in that in that final scene, uh, in the final couple of scenes, and also Lalo. Lalo is out and on the loose. Mm. Uh, and we had talked, to be honest with you, we had a lot more. We could have done, we probably could have done another episode just with some of the pitches of what, of, of what we had uh, for that, for that season. So I think we had a little bit of a start, you know, when the, when the end of the season is asking very uh, story oriented questions, um, then, then you, you kind of know that the beginning of the next season is going to be answering mm -hmm. those questions. So we kicked off, it kicked off pretty fast, but, uh, there were a lot, there were, you know, a lot of, uh, existential questions that we had to answer. I will say, I think during breaking season five, the, uh, the end of the series, uh, got a little bit clearer, uh, the, the clouds finally started to part on, uh, how we would we could end this end this project and uh uh so far our uh our thoughts 
seem to be coming together in that direction. But uh, uh, I'll be able to tell you more. <laughs> I'll be able to tell you more sometime after we've aired aired these episodes. We'll do this again for the for for season six. Oh, I hope so. Oh, that that'd be fun. But uh, but it, it is interesting because I think season five people were looking at it and expecting it to be that full one hundred percent conversion. Jimmy is going to become Saul Goodman. There is no turning back. And I think while they were looking at that hiding in plain sight, you were beginning the moral decline of Kim Wexler to the point where she takes Jimmy by surprise and us by surprise at the end of the season. How much of that was uh, in your, your brand master plan at the beginning? Oh, well, <laughs> not very much. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a great... I think the, the wonderful thing about uh, this particular kind of storytelling is that we get to learn from watching this, the episodes. We get, to, we get to, to learn from what, where we've already been and how the actors are interpreting uh, the words that we've given them and the actions that we've given them. And uh, that and it, it, we kind of end up, we often end up responding to what we're seeing rather than having an idea. Because the characters always end up being a little bit different from the way you, you picture mm. them in the writer's room or in the writing process. And I think one of the secrets uh, that I learned I th- on Breaking Bad and certainly on this show is uh, rather than trying to force the characters to do the things and to behave the way you think they 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 should or or to be uh, have them be consistent uh, strictly consistent we can we can learn from the performances and that gives the characters uh, and hopefully the characters are consistent but surprising and i think mm. that's the goal is that you have the, the moments when I, I i'm most satisfied and most excited uh, are when uh the characters uh behave in ways that we're not expecting but that makes sense yeah and that that's often a, something we have to reach for because there's usually an obvious move for the, if you're thinking of the characters as as chess pieces or if you think of them as uh you know, if you're if you're uh, if you're thinking of them as, as video game figures, you're following <laughs> through a maze. Yeah. Uh, then you get they they have a series of very predictable decisions, which are about you know self interest and things like that, uh, which are absolutely important. But I think the things that really excite me or that that kind of transcend um, storytelling is when the characters do something that you're not expecting, and then you go, oh, of course. Of course, that makes complete sense, and and, and hopefully, hopefully, uh, that we've 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 stuck with that, um, mm. and hopefully, hopefully, that's that's something to uh, aspire to, if, even if we haven't achieved it. I wanted to talk specifically about some key moments from this series as well, um, or season, as you guys say in America, we say series over here, <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, and I wanted to start almost going chronologically through the through the, through the show, actually. Um, because you start with with Gene again, obviously, and mm-hmm. it's the longest glimpse at Gene yet. And also, he does something. Jimmy Saul, whatever you want to call him, tends to cut and run, and Gene doesn't do that this time. Again, is that something that where he surprised you? Where the character surprised you? Or what? What can you say about the the choice to have that be the longest Gene excerpt yet? Well. It's it's interesting because the those gene teasers uh, started off really as tone poems mm. or or as um, an exploration of a character in a situation. Gene 
is is the same man. Uh, he is Jimmy McGill. He is he is Saul Goodman, but he's he's had to uh, strip his personality, strip his behavior of everything that that's meaningful to him. And, and um, but then then something happens, which is that uh, in one of the seasons, I think it was season three, he 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 uh, he faints. Mm. He faints, and that takes him to the hospital. And then, of course, in the following season, uh, he feels that the cab driver may have recognized him. And he is, I think you're right, he's a survivor. Uh, Jimmy is not, he's not a warrior. He's not, he's not an action hero. Uh, he is, he is a, uh, as, as Lalo says this season, he's a cockroach. Yeah. He's, a, he's a survivor. And so his first, his first inclination is is to run and 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 uh, he even calls uh the disappearer that was our the final yeah. appearance of the wonderful robert forrester um and there's i'm so grateful that we were able to get him uh, onto the show that that scene was actually shot i'm sorry i'm giving you a an asterisk here <laughs> that scene was actually shot uh during uh the production of el camino uh the 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 jesse pinkman uh the jesse pinkman movie uh, it, because it, when we, when I originally, I wrote this episode and, and when I, uh, wrote that scene, I assumed it would be too difficult to get Robert and set that whole, set that whole vacuum cleaner shop up again. And then, uh, during production, Melissa Bernstein, our brilliant producer called me and said, would you like to see him instead of just hearing him? And I said, sure. And so Vince, uh, Vince Gilligan, who was, who was, uh, writing and directing, of course, that, uh, that, that movie. Yeah. Uh, he shot this little scene with Robert, and I, I'm so grateful that he did because, uh, as I said, that was that was our last look at, at Robert in this in this universe. I think that Gene Gene has been pushed far enough. It's a very inter- There's a very interesting moment because he's ready to go. He's ready to leave. Uh, he's ready to run again mm. as he has before, and something stops him. And we've talked a lot about what that is. And you know, you could you could think that maybe he's he's through with running. You could think uh, maybe he's found a little backbone. You could think maybe he's saying to himself, "I'm Saul fucking Goodman. I'm not going to let this. I'm not going to let this little twerp, this little twerp, boss me around. Why should I run? And by the way, if he runs now, what's going to happen next time? Yeah, uh, because there will be somebody else who recognizes him. So I think he decides that he's going to tackle this, uh, and that's uh, you know that's uh, I. I we're going to see how he tackles it and what transpires. And uh, I think that's pretty exciting. Oh my God. I, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Uh, you know, for again, a 57 episode gene spinoff. I'm, I'm there for that, Peter. If you, if you want to go down that road, <laughs> I, I am there for that. Um, but obviously, I, I don't know if you're aware, Peter, but this is a, a spinoff from a show called Breaking Bad. And uh, yeah. I, there's a, a couple of characters from Breaking Bad who turn up uh, in uh, episodes three and four. And I have to say, seeing Hank and Gomi just made me grin incessantly uh it must have done for you guys as well but the temptation to use them in the entire season i don't know how you resisted that how how did you manage to to do that you know i think if if vince and i had had a lot of restraint <laughs> you would have seen all these characters uh at the, in the first episode of of uh a better call saul <laughs> you would have seen hank and gomi and 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 how great how great is it to see Dean Norris and 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 Stephen Mike Gazzotta back? And they they just picked up exactly where they uh, where they where they left off with those characters. It was it was that was thrilling. Uh, I think it's the answer really is 
um, what makes sense for the character. The thing that helps us to know where the edges of our story are, uh, the thing that helps, the guideline is, is this about the story of uh, Jimmy McGill? Is this a story of Michael Ehrmantraut, uh, Jonathan Banks, mm. um, and Kim Wexler? And every, hopefully everything that we do is um, about those characters. And if other characters from Breaking Bad show up, it's because they play an important role. Uh, and that was, I'll tell you, it was a wonderful moment in the writer's room when we realized that Jimmy was going to have to tangle with law enforcement um, law enforcement to get uh, Lalo's man out of jail. Mm -hmm. And we thought, well, who's wait, law enforcement? <laughs> DEA. Well, wait a minute. It's <laughs> it's time. This is the moment. Yeah. And I, I'll also say that, you know, we, we didn't take it for granted that Dean and Michael would come back. And I remember getting on the phone. Vince and I got on the phone and uh, I asked Vince to join me on this call because <laughs> I thought <laughs> need back I up. thought uh, I thought that he would. Uh, well, you know, because, you know, Vince created Breaking Bad yeah. and Dean 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 was such an important part of that. I thought maybe it would call on uh, some uh, some mystic memory, the chords of mystic memory, and he 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 would feel provoked to come back to Albuquerque. So we had this whole long song and dance about why this was a good idea, and Dean basically interrupted us and said, "Guys, I'm in." You know, so that was that was a that was a wonderful that was a wonderful moment. And of course, seeing these these guys uh, in out back and out, we had to sneak them into Albuquerque. Uh, there was a lot, there was a lot of security, uh, to make this, to make this work and keep it, um, keep it some, somewhat of a surprise when it happened. Yeah. So that, that really was, that really was a thrill. And, uh, you know, I will also say it was a, um, it's a little intimidating. Uh, Ann Cherkis wrote the episode mm. that, that brought these two characters back and she was not on Breaking Bad. She, she joined us on Better Call Saul and here she is writing these iconic characters and bringing them back. And I'll say that the uh, the kinds of dialogue that I find most challenging or most worrying uh, are those, um, the, the, the moments when the characters really aren't talking about anything else, when mm. they're just shooting the shit, mm. or they're, you know, it's the Royale with cheese. Yes, uh, yeah. We, we call it sometimes, that, that, that kind of dialogue uh, really takes a lot out of me, maybe because I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a stiff, I don't know. Uh, but it's, it's, I thought Anne did such a wonderful job, uh, bringing those two guys back and, and bringing those two characters back and they just, they just crushed it. Yeah, they really did. They really did all before the PTSD, all before, you know, Heisenberg, mm -hmm. before, before this is in Hank and Gomi at their most innocent and, uh, and joyful. I yeah. loved it. Absolutely loved it. The innocent, innocent DEA. <laughs> the innocent, yes. innocent in, in inverted commas, of course. <laughs> um, I wanted to skip right to the very end because it's really interesting. I mean, Lalo, I think you guys have created one of the, the greatest characters across both shows. He's Tony Dalton is wow. And you end the season with Lalo and not Jimmy and Kim. That must have been, was that a decision that, that, that took a long time? And can you talk about ending with that, that great shot of him stalking off into the night with revenge on his mind? Um, sure. Uh, that was tricky. You know, it's, it's a, um, because you are, are, you know, the, the, uh, the, the clear thing is that you end with your, your main characters. Uh, but it just, in fact, we tried cutting it the other way too. We tried re-editing uh, that act of the episode, which was one that uh, I directed and I wrote with Ariel, Ariel Levine. Um, 
and it was uh it just it, you know it felt right it reminded me more than anything structurally and, and it reminded me of uh the end of season three where jimmy and kim and keep you cast your mm. cast your cast your mind back that far uh jimmy and kim jimmy and kim are uh, jimmy's lost his law license and they're clearing out their office but they're in love and and kim has a broken arm but they're there they are in love and and uh, uh things you know somehow they're going to get through this and then then the, the last beat of that particular season was uh that really horrific moment with michael mckeon where he knocks the uh knocks the lantern off his table yeah. and, and starts a fire yeah. in his own home and 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 what that left me with was oh what's what is jimmy going to do with this and that's that ended up being what season four was really about mm. was jimmy jimmy dealing with the death of his brother or not dealing with it and so i think that for us uh the, having ending the season ending ending uh, the season with this cloud uh, over all the characters, uh, Cloud with a, a mustache and a crinkle <laughs> in his eyes, uh, Lala Salamanca. Uh, that felt that felt like a good place to to leave it uh, until season six. Although I have to say, at the time, we had no idea that it would be so long before before season six would air. We did we somehow our calculations didn't encompass a pandemic no. so by the time we see lalo again he'll have full lockdown hair he'll have long tony will have long shoulder length hair he'll have a beard he'll be unrecognizable no, I, isn't tony great he is tony really is he's uh he's just fantastic and he's a it's it's i i love that character uh i love i love riding him and he's uh he has so much joy you know, mm. he, it's as for somebody who's a uh, a cold blooded murderer. He's got a lot of connection to the world and a, and a lot of joy in his soul. It's not not something I'm used to seeing. Did you know he'd be so much fun? Did you know he'd be so much fun to to write and to watch? We had an idea, you know, and because Lalo, you know, the origin of the character is a throwaway piece of dialogue yeah. from Breaking Bad when when uh, when when uh, Saul is kidnapped by Walt and Jesse, he thinks. He's terrified because he thinks that they, they've been sent by somebody named Lalo. And so when we started the, the series, we kept saying, well, actually, the person who kept bringing it up was Bob Odenkirk. Bob kept saying, when are we going to meet Lalo? Who's Lalo? <laughs> and and, and I, I, I would uh, smile and think, oh, my God, there's something else we have to do. Uh, and then when uh, it came time, when it felt right to bring Lalo in, and really the reason that felt right, I think, for us, at the end of season four was that um nacho nacho had kind of cleared the salamancas out of his life successfully and he was living an empty but consistent life as a um a drug minor drug kingpin and we thought well you know this is this can't last the salamancas aren't going to let somebody who's not a blood relative run their operation here north of the border and that was when we realized okay who's lalo and Sometimes you have a big theory about who a character could be, and sometimes it's an image. And in this case, it was the image of this guy cooking and singing and uh, just being <laughs> at peace with himself and, and loving life yeah. um, and having well, a little bit of a, a, a second meaning beneath everything that he says. Uh, somehow that felt right. And then, of course, when we saw Tony, we, you know, yeah. it's, again, you, you get the, you get, 
you, you have an idea about the character and then you get to see uh, the right actor yeah. playing it. And it just, he adds so much dimension and he's sort of a cartel Errol Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, he's just he's just wonderful. He really is, and uh, and his very presence, you know, how terrifying he is, uh, makes the end of episode nine really interesting as well. Because the minute he walks into Jimmy and Kim's apartment, it, 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 the tension's on a knife edge, especially with Mike outside with the sniper rifle. Uh, it leads to this incredible moment from Kim where she sends him packing. Essentially, can you talk about that? Where that came from? Ginny is diminished at that point in mm. the story. Uh, you know, he's been out in the, uh, he's had this journey through the desert mm. in the previous episode, and he's seen something that he's never seen before, which is death up close. The guy is, is shaken. I mean, you could say it's PTSD, but that's, you know, that's sort of a, uh, that's an umbrella term yeah. and, and everybody handles stress differently. Uh, and he's kind of hollowed out at that point. And, um, uh, I remember in the writer's room, I, I, can't, I can't for the life of me think who, who brought it up, mm. but there was this idea suddenly, and this is, this is an example of something you can't plan, that suddenly there was this idea, well, wait a minute, maybe Lalo sees Jimmy's car and starts feeling suspicious of how this all went down, and he comes back, which was not something, I don't think that was in our grand scheme to the extent that we had a grand scheme. And Tom Schnauz, who is... Uh, just a brilliant guy um, <laughs> wrote and directed this incredible one act scene, one act play really uh, where Kim, and I think that Kim sees that Jimmy is, she does not know what happened. She does not know for sure that Jimmy's lying or exactly what he's lying about, but she is, she has a strength to her. And at that moment she, uh, she uses it mm. and she uses it with Lalo and of course, in the previous episode, there was a wonderful scene where Lalo uh, really gets the better of her yeah. when she visits visits him in in, uh, in lockup. But I, I, I you know, and it, it really this is you know again, it's it's something I, I think we mentioned earlier uh, where characters behave in surprising ways, but that but when you think about it, it makes sense and it, it feels right. Kim has done this before when Jimmy's threatened, she rallies. Yeah. And we've seen that. We've seen that with uh, certainly with Hamlin. We also saw it with Chuck. There was a scene where uh, uh, Chuck tried to take Jimmy to task and and uh, for things that he in fact did did do. And Kim Kim uh, rallied. And instead of believing Chuck's story or accepting it, she rallies to Jimmy's defense. I think she is. She's got a. Um, She's a fighter. And in a weird way, I think she's more of a fighter than Jimmy is. Jimmy, Jimmy's more likely to try to find a way around obstacles. And Kim, if necessary, she will, she will butt heads with them. And that's, that was an example. And she, I think she comes right up to the point of getting shot by Lalo in that scene. Yeah. I think there's, you know, there is a chance as that scene ends that Lalo just decides that both of them are, are they're a pair of lying attorneys and he's just going to dispose of them but she takes a risk and of course mike is there watching and you got to think mike was impressed yes <laughs> mike's going one of a kind uh yeah it'd be yeah. yeah absolutely and also i think kim is an adrenaline junkie also and there's an element of that you know just to go back and revisit slightly the 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 end for her and, and jimmy in in this season i think there's an element of that that drives her 
desire to try and get Howard essentially is is was that mm-hmm. on your mind as well at the end of, at the end of that at that you know she's been seduced by this side of Jimmy's world we all thought she'd be repulsed by it but she's actually been seduced by it that uh, boy I think there's there's so much to say there um, and you can read it you know it's it's we 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 re- we make these shows and then we release them into the world and 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 uh viewers and audiences may have their own interpretation so i don't i don't really want to lock it down too much but i think that she's you know there's there's a lot of dimensions to why she does what she does and i think um uh we have a, a writer in in our writer's room allison tatlock who sometimes talks about characters as having three layers uh being the, the story that they're telling themselves the story that they would they would tell you if you asked them the story that they're telling themselves internally and then there's one maybe below that that they're not even aware of yeah and uh kim is frankly i think she's as complicated a character as as i've ever i've ever had anything to do with uh she is she is she is uh she is deep <laughs> um, and and i think you're gonna learn you learn a little bit about her her childhood this this past season and season five um and you start get maybe getting a sense of how she got to be the person that she is but there's no doubt and you're absolutely right chris there's no doubt that she finds jimmy's rule breaking fun and appealing and also worrying mm. uh and she seems to have uh she seems to have come down more on the uh the fun and appealing side yeah it's interesting uh, this season uh, there are two moments in, in particular I wanted to talk about, and uh, the one is Jimmy hitting. I think his all-time low, even factoring in Chuck's death, is in Bagman, and I think it's the moment where he drinks his own piss. If I'm honest with you, I think that's a moment where he he goes, "This is as low as I could possibly go. This is it for me." Uh, did, is that how you saw that episode? Um. It's, it's totally legitimate, Chris. It's not exactly how I saw it. Uh, I, I saw it's that, you know, you're, you're pinpointing a, a moment that we had a lot of discussion about. Mm. Uh, this moment of, of Jimmy finally uh, swigging his own urine out in the desert. And it's interesting because uh, I think when I originally, when we originally talked about in the writer's room, I thought may, it was kind of funny but kind of not uh i think that for me that moment is jimmy saying i will do whatever it takes to survive and get home mm-hmm. to kim wexler uh to me and and w- the way bob plays it is is um he reminds me of you know he reminds me of humphrey bogart in the treasure of the sierra madre <laughs> he is you know it's 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 funny that he's drinking he's drinking pee uh, out of out of a law firm, a law firm uh, sports bottle, but it's also I find it compelling too because uh, he's he's rallied and what rallies him is Mike talking about the people who aren't there in the desert, the people who they're doing everything for. So that's yeah, it's a um, it's an inter- I remember uh, Vince, you know, who directed that episode. It was written by Gordon Smith. And Vince Gilligan directed it, and just, they both did just an unbelievable job. It was probably the most complicated, definitely the most expensive episode we've ever done. Um, and uh, 
they both hit it out of the park. Uh, but I, I'd also say that um, Vince Vince was worried that that moment was going to be like anticlimactic or funny. I think there was we discussed it a lot, and um, and I just felt in my gut there was going to be. I, I'm praising myself here, which I don't <laughs> like doing, but I, I I argued. I in my gut, I just felt there was going to be something wonderful in that moment, and Bob made it. I mean, Bob made it. Bob and, and Vince and and Gordon made it into something that uh, I'm I'm just as proud as I could be of, of, of that moment of the, the whole episode, well, the whole season. Right? Uh, that, that episode, the whole season is tremendous. But I think, I think that moment as well, when I say it's his low point, I think that's a point to take what you said on board. I think that's a point where he goes, this never happens again. I never hit a point as low as this again. It ends now. And you can see how pissed off he is in the rest of the episode yes. and just how devil may care he is from that point on. Then he becomes more shell-shocked uh, in the last two episodes. That's true. Uh, but that's yeah, true. it's just it's just tremendous stuff. Um, and not to... Um, again, I guess we're talking about Jimmy and Kim. There's the moment at the end of episode six uh, where... Kim surprises everybody. I'm not even sure if she if she surprises herself by suggesting that that she gets married to Jimmy. Was that your mm-hmm. big board at the at the beginning of the of the of the breaking down the season, or did it was that more a more organic thing that you arrived at? It was it was pretty organic. I will say that I think for a long time, I think season one or actually season season two, we Jimmy. But he proposes that he and Kim get an office together, and it's it's a little bit like a marriage proposal. It's very romantic for Jimmy. <laughs> let's have it. Let's we should have an office together. Yeah, and and it's it's a it it really it's another couple for with another couple it would have been a marriage proposal, but in a, in a weird way it's it's more than a marriage proposal because Kim lives in her work. And he says, he's saying, I want to be where, where you live. And they do, they do end up getting an office. And it just, it always tickled me, uh, the symmetry of the idea of a, characters who get um, an office for love and then get married for business reasons. <laughs> uh, there was something about that that tickled me. And I, we talked about it for a long time. And then in, episode, in that episode, Jimmy has pushed Kim as far as he's ever pushed her before. He, he, he makes her part of the uh, the group of suckers, uh, the people who are the people he's taking advantage of, the people he's fooling. And she is, I think she's more angry with him than she's ever been. And we got to the end of it, and there was a lot of talking in the writer's room about this because there's she has a a very, and she says it, she has a very clear choice. The smart thing to do at that point mm. would be for her to break up with him. For her to say, and it's like as she says, and, and again, Tom Schnauz wrote that scene. Another, another Schnauz special. Uh, <laughs> you know, she says, she says, you know, either we enjoy the time that we had, or you know, or or or. And and Jimmy, Jimmy's devastated. I love the way Bob plays it. He is devastated. He's fearful. He he did not think it was going to come to this. And then she says, or maybe we get married. And uh, and in the logic of the scene is that he's said, I can't tell you things to protect you. And you know, the logic is that she's say, saying, in, in, in some ways, um, we should get married so I can't be forced to testify against you. Um, but she's also binding herself to him with all his uh, unreliability. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, his his inability to stop himself from taking the shortest distance between two points. And you know, you could say this was. Um, it's it's hard to pinpoint where all these characters make their biggest mistakes, but that could be <laughs> uh, a moment that I love her so much. Yeah. For, for doing what she does, but it's also a moment you could say this is this is a terrible mistake. Yes, I think I think so. Well, I, I wanted to talk because I realized we haven't really talked about Mike and Mike in this season is really interesting, especially in the first five episodes where he's on again, he's on the, the downward spiral. He's uh, you know, he's racked with grief of what he did to uh, to Werner and it's it's broken him. Um, and it comes to a head in the scene at the end of episode five, where he has that conversation. I, I'm I, I'm hesitant to call it a heart to heart with Gus, but I think it's the moment that those two characters lay everything on the table because you know, obviously, you have to you manipulate your chess pieces into the places that where we know they are in Breaking Bad. Was it difficult to move Mike's story on in that way in in season five? Yeah, I mean. You're making a good point. Mike Ehrmantraut, who we meet in Better Call Saul, at the beginning of Better Call Saul, he is—it's he doesn't make the same kind of big uh, wardrobe changes that Jimmy does as he becomes Saul Goodman. But Mike is a fundamentally decent guy. Um, And yet we knew he ends up working as the right-hand man uh, to a drug kingpin. Yeah. And, and, and we kept on asking ourselves, what is it that binds Mike together with Gus? It's not just money. And that's, it's a, it's a strange thing, but Mike, in an odd way, he doesn't care about money. I mean, he certainly cares about taking care of his family, but, um, what is it that binds them together? And as we went, as we had the journey forward, we realized these guys are both, um, reacting to loss uh mike has lost his his son in a horrible way and he feels responsible and gus lost you know possibly the love of his life uh mm. you know it's a little bit ambiguous in breaking bad when uh hector hector shot him in that in that you know that that shattering scene mm. in breaking bad uh, these guys are both they've both taken grief and turned it into rage they've taken grief and turned into um, a desire for revenge. Um, and that's, so they do have something in common. And you can say that, well, Mike's revenge has been concluded. It was concluded maybe when he shot those two dirty cops back in Philadelphia. Yeah. But but Gus's revenge is far from finished. And I think that there's a, um, Mike resists it because I think of all these characters, Mike sees himself maybe most clearly he's the one who's not making excuses for himself but that was a that was a big moment because mike has more or less <laughs> he more or less tried to commit suicide uh he, he had a suicide attempt yeah. at the in the middle of the season where he went up he got he got pissed and went and picked a fight with a whole thicket of young guys and he 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 is as strong as he is and as wonderful as uh, incredible fighter as he is. He was, it was a fight he couldn't win. And, and Gus rescues him from that. And Gus offers him a way forward, but it is a, uh, I think it's deeply flawed. 
I mean, I th- and I think that one of the, I'm hoping uh, one of the things that we try to have a perspective on what Mike and Gus is are doing that's not just uh, rah rah. <laughs> these guys, these guys are doing awful things, yeah. and and for for motives that I think are um, understandable, but are uh, you know ultimately you know maybe unforgivable. But but uh, you know, and of course, Jonathan Banks. I mean, how, how what more can you say about Jonathan Banks and Giancarlo Esposito? Anytime you get these two guys together in a scene, uh, you know you're going to walk away uh, shaken. And having and having and, and and not being able to take your eyes off them, they're both. Fantastic. One thing about the scene you're mentioning, that's kind of funny. It was shot in a uh, in a in a Mexican village that's now a uh, a New Mexican village. It's now a an outdoor museum, and they have animals there. And while we were shooting uh, uh, Giancarlo's section of the dialogue, there were uh, goats who were just off screen and the goats, there must've been something in Giancarlo's voice <laughs> that the goats liked because whenever Giancarlo would finish speaking, the goats would reply. So Giancarlo would say his line and then they, Nyeh! and not only that, but the sun was going down <laughs> and uh, uh, Jim McKay, who was directing it, who is a, a fantastic director and a, just a wonderful guy. He had to, he had to fight this, and uh, Giancarlo. If, uh, I think the dailies may be uh, on our um, when the Blu-ray comes out, you'll be able to see the uh, the gag reel. But the gag reel, Giancarlo doesn't break for a second. He says his line, and then you hear, uh, and, and he 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 continues on because he knows the sun is going down, and uh, everyone's going to be screwed if we don't get this. But is anyway. That's that shows you the you know these these guys is brilliant. As brilliant as they are, yeah. you know the goats don't care. Listen, the goats love the chicken men. That's that's right. That's what it is. That's what it is. I love what you're doing with Gus and how you're twisting it around and how utterly adversarial he was. He was the antagonist when he was in Breaking Bad, and now by sheer virtue of the circumstances that Jimmy and Nacho find themselves in, I'm not going to say heroic, Peter. He's not on the side of the angels, but certainly the the the, the morality is different. I think with Gus in this show. Oh yeah. It's complicated. And, and uh, you know, I'm again, I'm so grateful. Giancarlo Esposito, I mean, you know, it's an MVP. I, I, I'm excited. Every day I get to work with him, I mean, I'm excited. It's a whole show filled with MVPs, and I cannot wait to see how you finish it off. Uh, but I'm going to let you get back to breaking and then hopefully shooting and editing season six. Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Chris. And uh, th- thank you. Thank you to all the fans watching. And thank you for waiting for the long wait. For season six, Uh, we're doing our best to make it worth it. Peter, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. Okay, so that was Peter Gold. Peter Gold doesn't have to be persuaded, folks, about the qualities of Better Call Saul. But one of the things that frustrates me is that this is a prequel, of course, to one of the greatest and most lauded and most loved TV shows of all time. And yet the number of people I know who either haven't checked out Better Call Saul at all, or who got maybe a season in and then gave up. Just is depressing to me. Mm. So I'm glad that you guys are here. You have you have stayed the course and you have seen the quality of a show that I think, and this isn't a controversial viewpoint necessarily, I know that a lot of people hold this opinion, I think is every bit as good as Breaking Bad. 
Where do you stand in that? Why have people kind of missed the boat a little bit on Better Call Saul and are scrambling to catch up as the this, the the final season hoves into view? Well, I am teetering on the edge of almost being one of those people. So I'm going to let Boyd lead with this because he is far more qualified <laughs> to talk about jumping on it before everybody else. <laughs> Were you late to the party? I finished watching it this morning. So <laughs> I very nearly fall into that category, to be honest. But yes, Boyd. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's better, better than James um, Dyer. Hello. Um, I, I would say, Chris, that one of the main issues, I think, with people's reluctance, and I agree with you, there is a, a reluctance to get on board, um, is the prequel issue. Now, I, because I'm not a huge fan of the prequel in general. I mean, that's a ridiculous thing to say, because obviously some prequels are great, blah, 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 blah. But in general, mm-hmm. I think there's a feeling that, particularly prequels that are origin stories, and um, as this one is, to some extent, um, and, you know, a, a backwards looking. Um, attempts to explain, justify um, a character, a fictional character that we've grown to know and love to some extent, and in a show that we've grown to know and love and admire hugely. But I think the initial, my so my feeling generally when was when it was announced that it was happening, and when it arrived the first season, um, my negative thoughts were, oh, you know, it can't ever be as good as Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad is probably in the top five TV shows of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and do I really need, much as I love Bob Odenkirk and that character, um, do we really need an extensive, epic, deep dive into him particularly? So all these feelings um, were there for me, and I think one of the reasons why I c- came on board quite quickly was that, so in, the, in, the, you know, in those early seasons you had um, his brother, played by Michael McKean, who was one of my favourite people anyway, you know, going back to Spinal Tap, etc. Michael McKean is a fucking genius. So I was like, well, okay, now we've got Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk I love anyway. Michael McKean playing his brother. That's great. So forget the my qualms about prequel, the prequel factor. I'm going to check it out anyway. And obviously it's my job to check things out anyway as a TV, as a writer about TV. Um, and I was fairly quickly on board because I, th- I thought the interaction between those two was fascinating. Um, and then you had, um, you know, just the whole, that the fact that it starts with the black and white flash forward, you know, to kind of another world of this character, it makes it even more intriguing and complex. Mm. Um, so I think all I needed, and then you've got Kim Wexler, of course, you know, as the kind of slow burn love interest, if you like for Jimmy, a slash soul. And she was instantly phenomenally brilliant, let's face it. Um, so all these factors um, got me on board, but I can see why other people still haven't, are still reluctant to really fully um, clamber along, clam, clamber onto the, uh, the bandwagon. Mm. Yeah, because the first season's very slow. Yeah. And the first season's very slow. <laughs> it's, very, it's, very, it's very slow. It's slow to the point where it's slower than I think Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould intended. They've talked about this in the past, that you know the, the idea of what the show was changed so much over time. So when it was first 
conceived when they first started talking about, oh, can we do a, should we do a prequel? Because we really love this character, Saul Goodman. We don't want to let go of him. So we maybe let's do a prequel. And then that went through various iterations. And one of those iterations was it was going to be a half hour sitcom. I think maybe even with a laugh track and they were going to, you know, really make a stylistic departure. Uh, and then they, they talked about, you know, when I interviewed Bob Odenkirk for the magazine, he was talking about, the, you know, they were talking about for different locations that it wouldn't necessarily even take place in Albuquerque. It might take place in Las Vegas or Chicago, which of course is where he's from. Um, so you know, there were lots of different options on the board for them. And then they decided that they were going to plug in to make it really feel like a Breaking Bad show stylistically, like a spin-off of Breaking Bad stylistically, even if it wasn't delving into the same crime world as Breaking Bad, at least obviously not at first. But they've talked about this, Gilligan and Gold, on their excellent, uh, better call Saul, uh, regular weekly podcast that I cannot wait to return as well. So after every, after every episode, they're on a, um, a show that is hosted by one of the show's editors. It's really, really great. Uh, much better than this, by the way. I'd stop, this, <laughs> no. I'd stop hey, listening no. to this. No. I'd, stop, <laughs> I'd stop listening to this and I would go listen to that right away. Um, <laughs> one of the things about that is, is that the show has changed. So they thought by the end of season one, that he would be Saul Goodman, that Jimmy McGill would would have evolved in that time, and it's and what happened was that they fell in love with Jimmy McGill, and they fell in love with Kim Wexler, and I don't think they expected that to happen, and so the show became yes, it's a comedy in many ways, uh, at least initially, but the show became something darker and deeper, and it became a a character study that I think they weren't quite expecting the depth of the character study. And so they wanted to just eke it out. They wanted to spend more and more time with Jimmy McGill. And I think that creative dilemma for them reflects, in a large part, I think the journey of a lot of people with the show, which is, I came for Saul Goodman. I wanted Saul Goodman. Now I don't want Saul Goodman. I don't want him at all. And we're about to go into season six and we still don't really have Saul Goodman. The Jimmy McGill that we have at the end of season five, you know, he has professionally, legally changed his name to Saul Goodman, but he is not Saul Goodman. He is not that monster that we met in episode eight of season two of Breaking Bad, uh, called, of course, Better Call Saul. He is not that guy. And he's still got a long way to go towards being that guy. And I will honestly lament the day that he arrives because it might mean that we have lost Jimmy McGill forever. Mm. And he's a really unique and wonderful creation this guy and props to Bob Odenkirk and everyone involved for doing it but I, I think that's part of part of why people struggled because mm. that that journey was so slow mm. a bit like this answer but that journey was so <laughs> slow that I think people switched off a little bit yeah they came for one type of show they came for the Saul Goodman comedy laugh fest yeah. and they didn't get that instead they got this really dark show about a guy who is in the shadow of his brother who's eccentric is putting it mildly and it moved like molasses mm. the first season and I think that might be a problem Beth you can talk to this you've literally just finished the show and um, you may not be in the same boat as, as Boyd and I is that part of why people found it hard to connect? I mean, I was literally talking to you, Empress Ben Travis, about this before stepping into this pod booth, and he said that he gave up after the first season. You know, tried, found himself watching the first few episodes a few times, and then and then just sort of let it peter out. And I'll tell you, it's the least I've ever liked Ben Travis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. We all love him. Uh, he's a perfect, perfect man. Um, it is a prequel show, as you say, and I am the the same. I'm not. A, I mean, having just 
you know, suffer through Boba Fett like the rest of us. I don't much care for a prequel. Um, usually I find them quite pointless and, and just mining whatever success the much better thing did, you know? Yeah. Um, but this just grew through word of mouth for me. Um, and I do have to attribute some of this. I've mentioned this on the Pilot TV podcast, but I do have to attribute some of this to you, Chris, because before I'd even watched the show, I went to a... Netflix bingo night uh, at a working men's club in East London uh, where I won a Better Call Saul onesie and who was hosting that Better Call Saul bingo night but Chris Hewitt (laughs) before I was writing for Empire before I even sort of knew what this show was I found myself at this weird bingo night that was hosted by Chris um, doing his best Jimmy McGill essentially uh, on the night so you know I thought I really should check the show out and four years later I finally started. Here we it. are talking about the show. Let's, let's go deeper into this bingo night now. <laughs> I, uh, I Chris, have very what few the memories fuck of was this. going on? I have very, very few memories of this. In fact, uh, I'd forgotten I'd hosted it until uh, Beth wow. mentioned this to me a couple of weeks ago. Listen, Boyd, I have a terrible, terrible memory. Uh, on my on my phone, every now and again, I do that thing. Where you, you, you know, you go. Um, what will happen on this day? I like to type in the day mm. and yeah. see what photographs I took on that day. And uh, one day I typed in whatever day it was. And a photograph came up of me hosting the press conference for The Expendables 3 with, <laughs> with Sly Stallone, Jason Statham, Wesley Snipes, Antonia Banderas, just like this long litany of amazing uh, action stars. I have no memory of hosting that what whatsoever. What a life you wow. mean, Chris. So you can't yeah. remember that happening. Yeah. That's crazy to me. I mean, if you, if you want to compare lives, Beth, Boyd is in New York right now. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, any any event I've ever hosted anything is etched deeply, because I find them, even though I do them on a constant basis, as you do, I find them all and, traumatic. And you're very good at them, Boyd, oh, as well. thank you, sir. But I, do, I'm, I find it very traumatic to, to, to do all of them. <laughs> so I never forget any of them. They're all absolutely there in my mind on a constant basis. But, but the idea of hosting a bingo night for better yeah. console without like on behalf of what AMC Netflix or whatever and yeah. yet not have the cast maybe I don't know I mean I just... no, no 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 cast so okay. I, I do remember this this was in Bethnal Green I want to say yep. yeah it was that in was Bethnal it. Green in a working men's uh, club you know one of those ones where the floor is sticky that venue is and... legendary by the way that's not just any yeah. working men's club that Bethnal Green working men's club is a legendary venue Chris carry on was it actually Bethnal Green working men's it must club be. It, was. it must have it been. was was it yeah. okay yeah okay yeah so they needed a host as legendary as a venue. So they asked me, they, obviously Alex Sane had said no. And then so, so which is, which is. Edith Bowman, seemed, Edith Bowman had never seen it. Edith Bowman had never seen it. Yeah. It seems, it seems to be my lot in life. If yeah. someone calls me up to host something, so Alex has said no. Edith has said no. Okay. And you've gone a long way down the list. Okay, yeah. now it's me. Robbie Collin uh, hasn't been invented yet. Robbie Collins, yeah, he was still he was still being grown in a petri dish, yes. um, massive seven foot petri dish, yeah. and uh, and then so they asked me to do this, and I remember that it was for the f- release of the first season on, on Blu-ray and DVD, oh my uh, and it's obviously in that first season Jimmy is one of the things that he does. He's in an old people's home, and he mm. there's the, the the virtuoso moment where he you know he goes off on one whilst whilst hosting a bingo game. So they wanted me to do that without going off on one. So they got me along to do that, and I had a bit of a blast. I oh, seem to remember good. also they had a warm up, they had a stand up 
Do you remember this, Beth? They had a, they had a warm up a stand up comedian come on to warm up. Oh wow! But I don't remember who it was. It was Chris Rock. <laughs> it was it was Chris Rock uh, <laughs> on a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. Get, get Kim Wexler's name out of your mouth. <laughs> you smacked him around the face for being not very good. Oh, oh wow! Dear. Yeah, it was one of those things. But uh, yeah, I, I, the the actual bingo part of it is is has faded in my memory so something traumatic must have happened and i've <laughs> okay, okay. i've been suppressing the memories <laughs> as per moving on from the bingo night as, yes as per um do you know what i think the show has done i, I was fascinated by by what you were saying about how they it changed in, literally as they were putting it together and as mm. they started making it and all that that's fascinating but i think what we've ended up with now after what 50 hours of it so far mm-hmm. as we enter it it's a 50 hour origin story right of how this one mm-hmm. this man turns from one persona into another and that is even more now that it's almost like the ultimate example mm-hmm. of this thing of the prequel origin story thing because it's it's the deepest of all dives and it is kind of like you know it's 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 beyond it's it's reached a level of like high shakespearean or whatever you know depth to it because mm. because it's you're waiting for that moment as you say where he's going to go from one persona to the other and he's we're watching him being broken down aren't we particularly in season 5 broken bad you could even say well exactly um and pieced back together but i think you know i think as you as you alluded to in your intro i think it's even more fascinating than breaking bad because breaking bad and uh, you know, Breaking Bad. There, there are a lot of anti-hero stories, right? Particularly in peak TV, right? In the in this mm. kind of American, you know, um, epic, you know, Tony Soprano. They're all The Wire. They're all kind of about men, male anti-heroes, and how they end up being morally compromised and all of that. It's not an original, you know, story arc, is it? Whereas this feels different to me. I think, yeah. crucially yeah. different. Um, and yeah. that's down to the complexity and the just the sheer difference of this character and of Bob Odenko, what he brings to it as well. And it's, so it's different. And I think it's possibly more interesting to me than the Breaking Bad situation. I'm with you on that. I really am. Um, I find myself engaging with these characters a lot more. And for me, character-driven stuff always hits harder. And you're right, there's no one as complex and with so many layers who's so deceptive as as uh as this character i think he's really hypnotic and i really like that this show doesn't pander to breaking bad fans obviously the characters are all there the world remains the same but it's not that kind of very heavy-handed fan fiction that you do get with some prequels boba fat um so yeah i i yeah i'm with you on that fully and the Kim Webster factor, it, it, it's, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's so, and we'll get on to, you know, what's going to, what we think is going to happen. But that relationship, even though all the, the flaws are there in both characters to some extent, but to watch her and what, how she's developed and how she's turned and how she's grown to kind of at one hand be furious with <laughs> him for, you know, for his actions and for his lack of moral fibre in many ways. But and then, you know, she kind of goes along with it as well and all of that subtlety all of that nuance about their relationship Mm. and you just believe that they would come together and every single scene between them is so um perceptive and real and does not in any way seem like a fake relationship being set up to give it you know for whatever reason that's just a rare thing as well isn't it in 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 this kind of show that to get such an authentic 
kind of complex um, way that they bounce off each other. It's fascinating. It's great, and I, I think the the way that it uh, it changes in season five mm. as well. The way that it wrong foots you constantly, but never makes you feel like you're being manipulated into mm. the the Kim and Jimmy relationship. The way that you think they're going to break up, mm. but then they get married. Yeah, uh, and it's her idea to get married as well. And why do they get married? So she won't be able to testify against Jimmy should something go go wrong down the line. But there is such an intense love between the two of them as well that they're, they're, they're absolutely wrong for each other. But they're also the mm. perfect match for each other. And the way that she stands up for him against, against, uh, against Lalo in the, I think it's a penultimate episode, is just one of the best pieces of, of writing and, and acting I've seen in, in years. It's just incredible. Uh, I'm fascinated to see where it goes because the show suggests at the very end of the the fifth season that, that Kim could break bad even worse than Jimmy. And Jimmy is kind of appalled by this. And one of the things about the show from day one has been that people have assumed that Kim's going to die. That, you know, because Kim isn't around, isn't mentioned, um, in any way, whenever you know we we got little glimpses into Saul's life in, in Breaking Bad, that ergo he must be on his own because who would be with someone as horrible as that? Uh, and I I I don't know whether the show is that obvious. I I do wonder if there's something in, in in season six where she might go to prison. She might be the one who has to enter a witness protection program. Uh, who knows? He might be able to reunite as Gene and someone else uh, down the line <laughs> at the end of this all, uh, once it's all said and done with. Uh, who's to say that, you know, the the awful public persona of Saul Goodman is something that he takes off at night and goes home to Kim and goes home as Jimmy McGill and tries to reclaim a little bit of his humanity mm. uh, at the end of at the end of each night. Uh, I don't think that it's as obvious as Kim's going to die. Although the show knows that we think Kim's going to die, yeah. and it 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 uses that um, for dramatic currency. Like, like the confrontation with Lalo in in episode nine, you're thinking, is this it? Is this the moment when you know she oversteps, gets taken out by the cartel? But then why would Jimmy work with the cartel? I, I don't, you know, but it, you know what I mean? It's, it, mm. it, it feels to me like there's um, there's real potential, dramatic potential in in what we feel might happen. Uh, whereas I think Peter Gould and the writing staff are just too clever for that to, to be the way that it actually plays out. Yeah, I think you're right. It's also, I mean, I could talk about this character and this performance for hours. I really could. Um, I haven't seen Rhea Seahorn in, in anything before this. So this is like brand new to me um and i just think she's dazzling i would be reluctant to even say that she's a love interest in this because she evolves so um rapidly beyond the the boundaries of definitions you know the label of being a lawyer of being you know involved with jimmy she becomes her own very robust but also at times completely unreadable person and I just I think because I haven't seen her in anything else that performance and that character are so like seamless to me um I think it's absolutely fascinating and yeah credit to the writers absolutely but this performance as well I think is oh I'm thinking now as I'm talking about when they have their fight and he is singing songs to her on the answer machine Mm. Uh, Valley High and and all these kind of um, exotic songs and and there's a scene where it's just focused camera set on her face while she's listening to this um, awful rendition that he's singing over the answer machine and you just see slight 
flickers of joy across her face. She's still fucking furious at him. She really is. <laughs> but, you know, just this, like, can't help but, but slightly kind of giggle at his her, his silliness. There's such mm. a silliness to yeah. him that makes him completely irresistible. And, um, yeah. and she carries all those emotions so, so wonderfully, I think. She knows that she should kick him to the curb. Absolutely. But she can't resist. Like whenever they become Victor and Giselle, like, she cannot resist that because she's someone who is seduced by the, the buzz, the adrenaline buzz. I think even more than Jimmy is. She just doesn't want to admit it because she's so diligent in every other aspect of her, of her professional career. Uh, I'm fascinated to see what she does in, in season six. Uh, you know, this trick that this thing that they're going to do or she wants to do in her, this, this ploy against Howard Hamlin, I think we'll see her go down in flames. Mm. She, it, it, I, I, I agree. She can't. She cannot end up in a traditional, and I use the, the phrase again reluctantly, love interest way. She can't end up, mm. I think, being killed off, you know, so to speak, or because I think that would seem very retrograde. And because she is the one that has the agency in this relationship, she is the yeah. one, as you say, who suggested the marriage because. You know, for again, like a complex variety of reasons. Because she, I think she do, she does love him, yeah, completely. But also because they could use their um, privilege, spousal privilege, mm-hmm. and that help. And so you know, she often comes. And in in season five, she is always she has to confront him. She's furious with him when he's doing taking making terrible decisions. But very quickly, if she decides that it makes sense that actually it benefits them for her not to abandon him or not to, you know, be furious with him, maintain that for you, and actually just to go come up with a way of dealing with the situations. She will. She's very, it's that smartness. She's so smart and, um, and just not willing to do the obvious easy thing just for the sake of behaving like, you know, you might expect her to do. And um, that makes her incredibly interesting drama and i and and so i my feeling about what will happen to her is i is whatever it is it's her she will decide that it's best for both of them her and him for whatever the hell she does as you and you're right i think you know witness protection feels like quite a likely thing but who the fuck knows but it's definitely going to be something that is totally down to her in the end and it has to be a thing. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because it has to be a thing that mm. convinces us. I mean, I love your idea of him going home to her after every um, everything that happens during Breaking Bad. That would be an amazing um, conceit. But well, it would make it a, a bit more of a tragedy in a way. It, it is for me. This is a bigger tragedy than than Walter White's tale in in, in Breaking Bad. Yeah. Because there you had a man who was choosing to do this. He he made yes. the choices yes. that brought him he enjoyed down. It. He enjoyed it. He yeah. loved the lifestyle. Yeah. And I think there's there's going to be an element of that a little bit with Jimmy, obviously, once he fully embraces you know, what Saul can be. But he's also someone who's hemmed in by circumstance and by just shit bad luck at almost every single turn. And I think that, you know, his, you know, slipping Jimmy's ultimate slide from from Jimmy McGill to Saul Goodman uh, is is a heartbreaking one in a way, way more than, yeah. than Walter White was. Yeah. And so, for example, if if... Kim is still in his life in the world of Breaking Bad, in the in the timeline of Breaking Bad. And he has to make the call to Robert Forster's, you know, obviously no longer with us, but in that show, he makes a call to the vacuum repair salesman who can get him out. 
and he、mm. has to leave Kim behind, and there he is, you know, out in the Cinnabon、uh, mm. as Jean, the sad sack, and he can't get in touch with the, the love of his life, or maybe she was the one who took the the vacuum repair salesman's card first, and maybe she's off somewhere、uh, mm. as well, in the same way that Jesse Pinkman, you know, ultimately went in, in El Camino. You know, there's a real tragedy to that that I think is is more profound than. than I, I, listen, I love Breaking Bad, but that's a that's a more profound tragedy for me. I、mm. think. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you're right, but and also I think that,、um, particularly in、um, season in Bagman, I, I do want. To, I think Bagman right is a single incredible, one, the greatest episode for me, including Breaking Bad of the whole. I think it's it's you know it's like Ooh. a.、Mm, I'm saying.、Ooh. Yeah, I know. Oh, okay. I know, for various reasons. But what it does show, I mean, we can argue about that. But what it definitely shows <laughs> is he is not enjoying. He is not enjoying that experience, right? There is when he's there, lying on the ground, surrounded by dead bodies, and he's like sick, crying, <laughs> reduced to a shell of a man. It is so moving. Because you know he's like this is seeing the reality of the situation that's about to, about to change him forever that he's going to have to deal with this fucking thing that he's embroiled himself in, and all of that is so profoundly distressing for him. I think it, I, you know that episode I think is astonishing, and the filmmaking. The other thing I was going to say about、um, mm. the two series, just I know it's slightly reductive to. So you know what's better than the other, but I do feel the story. There are episodes of Breaking Bad that are beautiful. I mean, a lot of it is beautifully filmed and, and incredibly、mm. inventive and bold. And, but I feel like they've gone even more bold and inventive and cinematic. You know, I I rewatched back. I rewatched the last three episodes in preparation for this podcast, and just the pure cinema. Beth watched the whole thing, Boyd. But I know, I know, I know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like the opening of Bagman. Remember when you see the cousins. Um, in that、yeah. world, and the, and the people counting the money, there's like silhouettes out of you know John Ford films, and there's like the shimmering darkness out of The Godfather.、Yeah. It's like shot by you know Vittorio Storaro, whatever, and it、yeah. looks incredible. And framing of all every shot, it's like it's unbelievable. And then when he goes、so、on、beautiful. this, when he goes on this adventure, this horrendous, traumatic adventure in his car to pick up the seven million dollars.、Um, It's every single shot, every single moment is so beautifully judged. So、mm. I think that is a step up. I have to say, I think from Breaking Bad. I mean, that's interesting.、Yeah. I mean, I, I still think, and I know there's some there's some discussion about this that is widely accepted that Ozymandias is the greatest yes, episode is. of Breaking Bad.、Yes. I I can't bring myself to watch that episode. I've rewatched Breaking Bad a couple of times, and, and obviously I did rewatch it, but it's not the sort of thing I stick on. But I have. I have often just watched the final episode of Breaking Bad because、yeah. I think it's one of the great finales. I don't think that's the widely accepted、uh, viewpoint, but I think it's it's beautiful.、Yeah. Could have maybe done with more Jesse, but otherwise yeah, I think I it beautifully lands everybody's trajectory and you know and the tension,、uh, just, the absolute the tension. tension. Oh, oh completely. But that tension, so ten- good. But that is again in Bagman. That un- unbearably、yeah. tense for the whole fucking hour of it.、Mm. When you know that both Mike and Jimmy are going to make it out. That's a hell of an hour of、uh, yeah. that's a hell、yeah. of an achievement、right. in one hour of TV.、Yeah. But it's、yeah. the same thing. But because we we also know that to an extent, because whenever we um and maybe we can get now into talking about what we think is going to happen in season six, um, whenever Jimmy is introduced, whenever Saul is introduced. He, you know, he's taken out by Walt and Jesse to the desert, and they, you know, they pretend that they're going to kill him. And he's, you know, he says that line that we now know was just 
Vince and Peter Gould just kind of just desperately searching around for for some names. Mm. And he went, oh, did, did Lalo send you? Did, uh, did Nacho send you? And so that implies that Nacho is alive in the timeline of Breaking Bad by the time Walt and Jesse come into his life. And the end of season five would indicate, would seem to suggest certainly that Nacho is going to be in Lalo's firing line mm. very, very soon. So how do you think that's going to resolve that that side of it? And also, do you think that the the more Breaking Bad elements now that are intruding on the show in, in greater uh, detail uh, are entirely successful? Or are you are you more in love with the, the Jimmy Kim lawyer side of the show? I think that one of the great things about season five was that the two halves, if you like, of the show, the, the, the drug cartel and all of that, and Lalo and Jimmy and Kim and everything come together. Yeah. You know, and the bringing them up, I, I mean, you know, I won't call it a flaw, but definitely the previous seasons three and four, to, well, I haven't rewatched those recently, unlike Beth, um, but to my mind, like they, I would, I would, it was one of those things, you know, when you read a novel and which has two or three different um, focuses, you know, one, one, alternate chapters between one person's focus and another. I would, and sometimes mm. I'm like, I really, I really prefer one to the other and I kind of miss the characters when it's focusing on the other thing. Mm. I felt that way a little bit about the cartel elements and, you know, Gus Fring and all those people. In fact, they're, they're all fascinating and brilliantly cast and they're all, all their stories are interesting. But in the end, it is like, Gangsters and drug cartelling, and, and whereas the relationship, mm. the central relationship of Jimmy, um, was it, it, keeping me absolutely going and loving it, and so yeah. But then in season five, when they're brought together more, that I thought was an absolute triumph, and that's what made. I think season five was the best. You know, was the best season so far. Of the show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would, I, again, just completely agree with Boyd. I mean, the cartel stuff and the the kind of politics of drug trade and the characters that come with it, I feel, has been covered so extensively in Breaking Bad and kind of elsewhere, whereas, yeah, that central relationship, a massive qualm, Boyd's sick of me saying this, but on pilot, you know, I'm always <laughs> such a, like, I hate it when shows take so long to say something, you know? Why, why is it taking an hour to say something you could say in... 45 minutes half an hour with this show i could watch jimmy and kim watching television for yeah. easily for an hour i could happily just sit and watch them watching tv together and i would be so happy to do that such is the rhythm of their relationship and again there's just two beautiful beautiful performances the cartel stuff interesting and tethers mm -hmm. it to breaking bad it serves a purpose and it serves it well and i do love um lalo later on i hadn't seen it when hawkeye came out so my oh, really? my partner was freaking out when tony dalton came in with the sword freaking out and i had no idea what was going on and now i obviously get it because he's yeah. such such a great character um, and He's a amazing. weirdly lovable character at that but yeah for me it, it very much all gravitates towards that central relationship weirdly for me I think the show found it difficult and again you know if we were lucky enough to talk to Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan after season six I wonder if they would admit this that they found it difficult to reconcile those two halves of the show for the first couple of seasons at least so you know they almost boxed themselves into a corner with Mike and 
Saul's relationship where the first time we see Mike, he's a bag man for Saul, but then he clearly is above Saul in Gus Fring's organization. They don't really have that much interaction after that. Um, but so then you have in, in Better Call Saul, you have those moments where you think that Mike and, and Jimmy are going to form some sort of buddy act and then they can't quite go through with that. So they split them apart and put them on divergent paths. And so I think that didn't entirely work for me. I, I think the show has grown into its greatness is, mm. is, is, is what I'm trying to say as well. But I think one of the things that, uh, interesting enough, I don't think being a prequel uh, has given it a lot of depth in terms of Jimmy's character. I don't think it's worked with Gus Fring. And I wonder if that's a deliberate decision for them, that Gus Fring remains still, we get a little bit more character development, a little bit more uh, of, a, of a glimpse of this background, but he still remains kind of essentially an, an unknowable villain in this. We're not really getting to spend much time with him as a character as outside of him, you know, obviously, you know, being a, a master criminal. Lalo is the character, I think, is the, the show's kind of... Um, you know, ace in the hole. He's a, he's an extraordinary character. I think he's possibly top three, maybe top four Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul characters. Uh, and to un- unleash him so late in the day with this kind of star-making, deeply charismatic performance from Tony Dalton, who is funny but terrifying at the same time, sometimes in the same scene, sometimes in the same sentence, is incredible. And I wonder how much they are boxed in by that line about that that Saul says to Walt and Jesse, you know, who sent you? Was it Lalo? Was it Nacho? Mm. I wonder if that dictates the time jump that has to happen in this final season. Mm. Um because at the end of at the end of this season we're not um even remotely close to being near the break of bad days. Uh, we now have the, the the amazing spectacle, and the, and you know they've joked about this, but the amazing spectacle of a sixty year old Bob Odenkirk playing a yeah. guy who's meant to be at a stretch late thirties. Yeah, <laughs> you know we have we have seventy something Jonathan Banks playing a oh. guy who's meant to be late fifties, early sixties <laughs> at a push, uh, and we're going to have as we know because it's been it's been revealed by by Peter Gould, uh, we're going to have. Aaron Paul, who's now in his 40s, playing Jesse Pinkman again. And we're going to have Brian Cranston playing Walter White again uh, at some point in this. So there has to be a time jump, I think, for there to be dramatic tension to kick in. Mm. We have to get to a point after Breaking Bad where Lalo and Nacho are still on the board and their fates are then uncertain because otherwise we're going to have a point where they're not, where they're locked in and there's going to be no dramatic tension in that cartel side of the show for me. Yes, it's funny, isn't it, to think that um, I mean, Jonathan Banks looks more world weary <laughs> and, you know, war- and worn down than he did in the whole of Breaking Bad. And it's like, you know, what they- it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. His, his voice is still like just this granite voice. I tell you what, I mean, you know, we're, the, the last couple of um, seasons were made during the pandemic. Um, and then the, the final season was obviously made during the pandemic. And, I was so worried. I was like, protect Jonathan Banks at all costs. Yeah. Just yeah, honestly, wrap that guy in yeah. cotton wool, yeah. bubble him, do whatever you have to yeah. do to him. A social isolation for a, for a month. Just make sure he's okay. We're all focused on Jonathan Banks. Meanwhile, Bob Odenkirk's oh one over God. here having a heart attack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Love him. But thankfully, thankfully, he's all good. Mm. He but is all good. Just to mention, go back to Lala that you were saying. I mean, I yeah. guess the scene where, he go, where Jimmy goes to see him in prison at the beginning, you know, of the Bagman episode. And they have that, you know, 
will he or won't he agree to go and get the seven million dollars? And uh, it's like a negotiation. But Lalo's like, you don't know that ambiguity about him. You don't know whether he's just being, he's just going to kill him there and then, or you know, sentence him to death effectively. Which yeah. an offer he can't refuse. At one point, you think actually maybe he can refuse, and it'll be fine. You know, he'll let Lalo be like, oh, I don't mind. It's all right. I'll get someone else to do it. He'll be okay. <laughs> all of that is there in that he is phenomenal. Yeah. And again, I think he is that. Yeah, that character might be one of the best in that half of the story, if mm. you like, yeah. of the whole mm. saga. Um, fantastic bit of casting and script writing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we don't have a lot of time mm. left, so we're going we're gonna to speculate about what might happen in season six. Uh, so I think there will be a time jump, as I said. Um, I, I think we will see certain stories wrap up. And But the fact is, this is a prequel, so we should know the destination, and we don't. Yeah. And that's kind of brilliant. Mm. Um, we don't know what happens to Kim. We don't know what happens to Nacho. We don't know what happens to Lalo. Uh, poor Chuck, he, he wrote himself out of the show uh, some time ago. We don't know what happens to Howard Hamlin. And we don't know what happens to Gene. And I wonder, you know, we knew the Breaking Bad, where we had a, had a feeling that Breaking Bad was going to end with Walter White dying in some way whether he went down in a hail of bullets or in his case bullet um you know and and you know went and went out in a blaze of glory or succumbed to cancer we had a feeling it wasn't going to end with him making it out of there alive where do we stand on jimmy slash saul slash gene how much of the show do we think is going to be dedicated to that post better call saul gene and cinnabon facet of the show and is he going to make it out alive Oh, God. I mean, I'm just going to go with my heart over my head and say I bloody hope so. Like I do. (sighs) (laughs) But, you know, it's like when Boy was just saying, you know, you just hope it's all going to be fine. You hope it's going to be fine. You hope he's not going to, you know, agree to do the the drop-off of the money. Of course he's going to do the drop-off of the money. You hope that they're, you know, Kim and Jimmy are going to ride off into the sunset together. Of course they're not. It is just such a... Oh, it is so hard to tell, but it is kind of astonishing, astonishing in itself how much more plot there is than the last few seasons. I've like recently compared it to Mad Men. You know, it's just character, 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 and suddenly all this plot comes out of absolutely nowhere, and you're like, "What the bloody hell's going on with all this bloody plot?" Too um, much plot. Too Double much plot. plot. Um, but I, uh, I <laughs> ramifications. <laughs> Horrible, horrible. There's been more violence in the last season than there has been in the combined seasons before that. At the very least, some maiming. <laughs> I'm going to go maiming. More maiming than death. Who's going to be maimed, uh, Beth? Because at the, at the end of the last bit of Gene we see, we see that he's about to get out. He's about to call Robert Forster again. He's going to use the last of his money to have another new identity. And then he decides, no, what? Fuck it. I am, I am Saul Goodman. I am not Gene, the sad sack manager of a Cinnabon. Uh, I am gonna, I'm gonna man up, goddammit. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, reclaim my my pride. And he's gonna make a last stand against whoever it is that might be coming after him. But this is a guy who's, you know, not known for violence. He's a guy for known for, known for talking his way out of a situation. Boyd, can he get out of this? Is there a happy ending for Gene? Um, yeah, I think so. I think. Um 
I don't. I mean, I don't think you did talk about the time jump. Are you, do you, so you think there'll be a time jump right at the beginning of the season? Do you? No, not right oh, at the okay. beginning. Right. I, think there, I think there'll be a time jump at some point. Right, I agree with that. Yeah. But I, th- so I, I think, think I think what it. Yeah. I, th- I think whatever they're planning on Howard has to play out yes. in its entirety. Yes. That might take that might take Kim off the board, but I don't think it will. No. I think Kim's still going to be around when we shift yeah. into the Breaking Bad timeline, agree, which yeah. we have to do. Yes, mm. I agree, yeah. So I think, um, you know, I don't think there's going to be, yeah, at the beginning, I don't think there's going to be, like, half the season's going to be about Cinnabon, Cinnabon, um, <laughs> making making cinnamon rolls. I just don't think that's that's the situation. So I think there will be, I think we'll get to see I think it's going to go right to the wire as to what happens um, with her, why she has yeah. to extricate herself from his life in what, somehow. And at the same time, I think we'll get to see Walt and Jesse in a, in a way that underlines her absence, if you like. You know, like they come into his life and she's absent and that will all be dealt with in, in, in a kind mm. of intriguing, fascinating, unpredictable mm. way. Because I, I don't think he becomes Saul Goodman if she's dead. No, exactly. I think exactly. If, if she dies as a result of the cartel, yeah. he gets the hell out of Dodge, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, totally, 100%. So, so that's going to be the fascinating thing, yeah, is how it is, why does he, I think he becomes Saul Goodman because of whatever happens to her effectively, you know, and how that plays out fuck knows mm. but yeah you know. i think that's the shortest yeah. answer to yeah. your question chris is fuck knows fuck knows fuck yeah. knows and of course you know this is the first of two tranches right. if you will of of mm. episodes so i wonder if there is going to be a time jump whether it might be the then. first yes, yes. yeah 100%. the first the first set of episodes takes us up to that point um you know, I, I don't think that the, the presence of Walt and Jesse uh, is going to be hugely no. distracting. No. I, I think it's going to be like the Hank and Gummy cameo in, in the last season, yeah. which was just beautifully played. And I think mm. we're going to see them again as well, by the mm. way. I think yeah. I think they'll be back in it. Um, whether we see everybody, whether we see, you know, Walt Jr. or Skyler or people like that, I don't know. But I think we'll see those guys again. But I think, I think they might be in maybe one episode, two episodes. Mm. In the same way that El Camino, you know, gave us a, a Walt and Jesse scene that we'd never seen before. I think you know, there's lots of there's lots of fertile ground there, um, especially if we see the impact of because we never got to see Saul go home after dealing with Walt and Jesse and yeah. you know, the blue meth and all that stuff. So we never got to see what it what it did to him. So if they're kind of almost Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in a way mm. to to his Hamlet, that kind of works for me in this. Yeah. Anything else we want to talk about, real quick? Any other characters you you want to you want to speculate on, or just it's just an exciting time, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like I'm cheating because I've barely had to wait at all until the next <laughs> season comes in. <laughs> but yes, exciting is the word. It's just a massive event, and it, and, and because you know how um, meticulous they are in 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 playing these stories out, and how. And the and and you you know what happened to Bob Odenkirk? You you're referring to the, his heart attack and all of that that you mm-hmm. talked about in that interview in Empire, fantastic interview in Empire. And that gives it another added poignancy. In a, in a, I don't yeah. want to be cheesy about it, but it does. I think you know because the show's all about surviving and mm-hmm. people are living at their extremes. Normal people, normal everyday people, being driven to extreme behaviour mm-hmm. and having to witness and and recoil from violence and death. And the impending doom, 
of life in that situation, <laughs> the desperation of their lives. Yeah. You know, all of that is the kind of tissue of the show and that how all that kind of plays out. I just can't wait. Absolutely cannot wait. All right. Well, it starts uh, very soon on Netflix. Uh, it starts, I think, every Tuesday on Netflix. That seems yeah. to be the way that it's gone the last five seasons. So we think that's the way it's going to go this time. We're clearly in the know here. I think it'll start, <laughs> but, uh, with, I think it'll start with a double bill like it did season double five. Bill. Yeah. 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 Which is very exciting indeed. And then it comes back in July, I believe, for the final run of episodes, which takes us up to August. And then that's it. No more Jimmy McGill, no more Saul Goodman, no more Gene, the manager of the Cinnabon in Omaha, Nebraska. Very, very sad indeed. We're in the presence of greatness, folks. And by greatness, of course, I mean my two pilot colleagues of such lethal cunning who have joined me for this. And thank you so much indeed to Squadcast name is Kim Websler. There we go. Came through at the end, didn't I? Came through in the end. But <laughs> she's really Beth Webb. Thanks, Beth. Thank you. Thanks for my onesie. <laughs> my <back laughs> no memory so onesie. of any of that. <laughs> uh, it is a goodbye from Fringit Dude, Boyd Hilton, all the way from NYC. Thank you very much. No onesie for Boyd. No. Uh, but he may have to smash his phone after this. If you've heard some Sorry. phone interference, we think that's Boyd. I'm hopefully going to noise gate the hell out of that. But it, it, you know, if you do hear phone, if you do hear phone interference, it's Boyd. Blame Boyd. I'd like oh, to yeah. set you an extra challenge. <laughs> audio wise yes indeed thank you very much indeed. and it's goodbye from me justice for Jean and I think in the end I'm not sure if there's going to be a happy happy ending I don't think we're going to see Jimmy and Kim riding off into the sunset but I do think that Jimmy slash Saul slash Jean will make it out alive slathered in donut glaze that's that's what's going to happen, folks. Put your money on it. And you know, listen, as I say, we're in the presence of greatness. The fact you listen to the show means you're invested in Better Call Saul and you have taken this journey with everybody. But if you know people who are on the fence about taking a journey, tell them how great the show is. Tell them to call up Better Call Saul. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Pilot out.